Okay, let's turn to Revelation tonight, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Now, next week, we're going to be moving into chapter 6, dealing with the seals, the seven seals, and not so much showing you any particular revelation from any of the seals, because they are what they are. But I want to show you some parallel things moving in Revelation. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have the class here, and I'll, I'll use the board, or we may go upstairs, and I might have these on a flip chart. I, I'm not sure yet. But um, if you're able to see the parallel chapters in Revelation, that will help you see and determine what's going on with the tribulation and the wrath of God, two different things here. So we'll look, hopefully look at that. And I'm going to put it more in an outline form to uh, understand those chapters as a whole relating to one another. And then if the Lord has me go back and deal with any particular thing there in some of those chapters, there's probably four chapters, then we'll do that later on. But... um, so next week we'll see, we might, might be upstairs where we can use the overhead. I, we have one here, but I don't know. Have you ever used it down here? I don't know if it would even be feasible to even use it down here. We might need more wall area. So, Okay, let's go to Revelation 4, and I'm sure you've read this two or three times at least. But whenever you go back in Revelation chapter 1, you see that John, in verse 9, he says he's at the, in the Isle of Patmos uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And then he begins to turn around and he sees Jesus the resurrected Christ, he sees the glory of, of the Lord. Uh, he, he sees him moving amongst the seven golden candlesticks and having the seven stars in his hand. So when you see chapter 1 there, you see John in a particular place. He, he's in the spirit, but it doesn't define where he is because we don't know. But what we do know is when we come to chapter 4, verse 1, he is taken from the place that he was to another place. Uh, Let's read verse 1. After this, this, after this was all the different things that the Lord uh, showed him uh, to the letters to send to the different churches. So after this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me. And you know a trumpet has a distinct sound and it it has an authoritative sound to it. That's why they use it the way they do in the military because of the the authority behind behind that. And they used it in the cavalry, cavalry years ago. Talking with me which said, come up hither and I will show, show thee things which must be hereafter. So when he says, come up hither or come up here, John is being translated from where he is to another spiritual place different than the place he was before. 
And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. So in this verse, you see this word where it says, verse 1, come up hither, and up there is in the Greek, and it means to move to a higher place. And that higher place, we, we always think, well, maybe I shouldn't say we, I always relate to a higher place. Let's say you are here, this line represents a place. And a higher place would be here, a line above it. But remember, we're looking at things and in, in seeing things that John saw in spirit. And what we see and think in our mind as a higher place may not very well be as it is in spirit. Remember, and we'll get into this a little bit, that there are varying distances from the throne that you will see with the different groups and individuals in the book of Revelation. You'll, you'll see, John will say something about them, and you get this picture uh, or the sense that they are a certain distance or in, in relation to the throne or closer in to the throne. And so whenever he says, come up hither or come to a higher place, that higher place, as I said, may not be as we think. It may be, he may be speaking of a place closer to the throne itself, because that would be a higher place. For example, um, let's say we are standing here, and just for our purposes here, in the back of the room, we'll say, we'll illustrate, that's the th where the throne of God is. So if he would say, come to a higher place, that would mean that we would be drawn closer to the Lord, to where he is. That's the higher place, not just, you know, this different, you know, levels here. Okay. Now just hold your place there and turn to 2 Corinthians. Now, in relation to where we live here on the earth... Heaven is a higher place, and that is above, above from where we live here. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and Paul says different things, as we know, about himself. And for the purpose that the Lord has him ministering in a certain way to them, he shares some things about what happened with him personally. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. So whenever I read this, the third heaven, what comes to my mind immediately is the setup in the wilderness. The, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, if you'll remember, the Lord told Moses, where is that? It's in Hebrews, I believe. Didn't think to write this down. Okay, Hebrews 8.5. Who serve unto an example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God... When he was about to make the tabernacle, the Lord said this, 
See, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. So there was a heavenly pattern that the Lord was telling Moses that he was going to pattern the tabernacle after. And if you remember, the tabernacle had the outer court, and in the outer court you had the main uh, activity where the people would, would bring their offering to, to the opening, the gate, and the priests would take it and they would bring it in there uh, to the altar, the brazen altar, and they would sacrifice the animal, and then also there was the, the, um, the laver. So in the outer court, you had much activity, a lot going on. It was a place of preparation to move further, uh, and the priest would to function and do these different things. That was removed from the Holy of Holies. There was a distance there between the Holy of Holies and the outer court. Then you move further on and you go to the holy place. The holy place, and we know there were three things in the holy place, but whenever the priest went into the holy place, they had to wash, they had to be right, um, they, they had different ceremonies they had to go through before they could go in there to the altar of incense and, and, and that. So now they're moving into an area that is closer to the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. And to move into that place, it, co it cost them. There was a dedication for the, for the priests in their life. There, there were certain things that had to go, certain things that they had to do. Their heart had to be moving a certain way and so on. Now you, you move further on and you know that the Holy of Holies was where the, the mercy seat was, where God's presence came down between the cherubims, the angels. And in that instance, you had the high priest and he had to go through quite a bit in preparation to go in there into this closeness, this close area uh, where God was dwelling and if he didn't prepare and his heart was not right, things were not correct with him, he would die and be struck dead. And so whenever you see this, and I hear this, Paul says, he was caught up to the third heaven. I relate that to he was caught up to this area close into the throne of God, not a further area, an outer area, not a distant place but actually further in close. And so he says in verse 3, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now my marginal reading says it's not possible, but actually it means that Lawful is actually a decent translation. He wasn't allowed to show, to speak about some of the things that he saw there. He says he was there, but he's not allowed to speak about it. What was it that he saw? Well, there's things in Revelation in different places where the Lord says, don't even mention what you see. 
Don't even mention it. Don't say anything about it. So back in Revelation 4. So here's John in verse 2. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne. So he's seeing now. And he, he, when he says he's in the spirit, there had to be some change there for him to be able to see what he sees. A throne set in heaven. And he says, and one who sat upon the throne. So he's seeing the throne. He's seeing uh, the Lord God who is sitting upon the throne. Now, in verse 3, he says, and he's, he saw. How can you see and portray into words the glory of the Lord? If you have ever seen a glimpse of the glory of the Lord, and you try to tell somebody about that, you will find out that you cannot describe it. You can say a few things maybe about it. Uh, you can see to some degree the glory you have penetrated into that to some, some degree. But to actually tell someone about it, and I'm not talking about people in the world, even Christians, how do you describe that? How do you put things into words? And the words themselves cannot portray that which you see. So here's John caught up to the third heaven, if you will, he sees a throne, and he sees one who is sitting on the throne. So John now, here he is. <laughs> the Lord has his attention. I could just picture him. He's like, and he's going to begin to describe what he sees. And I'm reading this, and I'm saying, this is lost upon me to a great degree, unless that happens to me. But see, I like the Lord because he can, in spirit, do something for you and I that is very special. So we don't have to be caught up before the throne of God. We can catch something in spirit and know that we know that we know that we, we're seeing something even though we don't really understand what we're seeing. But still, there is something here that says amen to this. Amen. And so he says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, or sardine, however you want to pronounce it. Now, the jasper stone, if you would actually study that, you would find out that that stone comes in multiple colors, uh, red, brown, pink, yellow, green, gray, white, and different shades of blue and purple and so on. Uh, and it was one of the favorite gems in ancient times. But primarily this here, when he says here, a jasper, uh, he is primarily speaking of a clear white stone and that stone is mentioned on the breastplate of the high priest. And that's, remember, the high priest had a, a, a breastplate. And on the breastplate, there were, and then, of course, here, 
there were three rows of four stones in a row, 12 stones, each having one of the tribes of Israel written upon the stone. And this one here, of course, applies to Benjamin. And the sardine stone here um, was the first one. Let me see. In the high priest's uh, breastplate, the sardine stone was the first stone in the first row. And the jasper stone was the last stone in the fourth row. So the order here in Revelation that John is seeing, he's only seeing the two, two stones. He's seeing, and, and this is how I, I'm seeing this now. I, I don't know if the first stone would be this one here because Hebrews uh, read from right to left. So we would normally think it would be this stone, but it very well may be this stone. So we'll, we'll do it this way. So th this is the first stone, and this was the last stone right here. Okay. And the, the interesting thing here is the sardine stone, uh, as I said, is a fourth stone, but it is a bright blood red stone. And I couldn't help but to think you have the blood red and the white, the alpha, the omega, speaking of Christ, speaking of the Lord. And the, as I said, the order here was reversed. The red stone points, I believe, to the, the shed blood of Christ, and the white stone points to his purity uh, his power, his authority, and so on, but, but mainly uh, the, the purity involved there. So then he goes on, and he says, uh, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an em emerald. So in the rainbow, as you know, is seen... A multitude of colors and these colors come from the light spectrum so you know this I'm sure that different wavelengths of, of light will produce different colors now this is applying to the visible light spectrum in in this physical world but let me ask you this what about the glory of God? Hold your place and turn to 2 Corinthians 4. How many colors are there? Does anybody know? I don't think there's a number to count. I mean, you can have such a, a varying shades that you could probably... I know your, your monitor, they, they used to be 256. Now they're, what, t uh, 12? Even your TVs are, are 12, what, 80? Okay, so... That's giving you more sh different shadings of, of, of everything, the more pixels, more, it's more clear or clearer. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light, this is what I want you to see here, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to give the light of the glory of God. How much and of what type of light is seen around the throne? See, we're not talking about a physical light that comes from the sun here. We're talking about the light 
of his glory, the glory of God. And when, when John here says he sees a rainbow, it's unlike any rainbow that we could relate to because we're relating to different wavelengths of light casting or making different colors. But the light of his glory is not limited to that, and it is much, much greater than that. Now turn to Revelation 21. Verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun. So what, what are these people going to do? They call themselves sun worshipers that, you know, they love the beach. They're going to, you know, that's where they want to live. That's where they want to spend their entire life. You know, that's where it is. There's nothing better ever than that. And, and God says, hey, it's going to be gone. And, and actually, there, there's a, a verse in Revelation that says the oceans are going to be gone too. Wow, the, the two best things people, people you know, go after, the ocean and the sun. God, is, they're going to be gone. So you better have your view somewhere else. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So this is an indescribable light. Something that we know nothing about, and the only way we will ever understand any of it to any degree is if we as a Christian are able to be moved by God in a way to see His glory. When you begin to see in certain ways the glory of God, and he opens that up. It can be in, you know, many different ways. But you'll see that and you'll say, wow. I can't tell you how many times I have sat down and been reading the word or studying the word. And it's like something opens up. Like it's not just the Bible. It's just something just like opens up there. And it's just like it's going on and on and on and on. And it's the glory of God. You catch a glimpse of that, and it's just so magnificent. And it's not just studying the Bible, but you see something beyond the written page. And so you begin now to see a different thing. You're seeing a light that you never saw before. Now, it's not limited to the Bible. You can be in a church service, and the Lord can come in a certain way, and you can begin to see, to some degree, a little, a small degree, the glory of Jesus, his greatness. And this indescribable light, you will begin to see that. And you will not be able to comprehend it. And you will not be able to tell others what you're seeing. I mean, how you're seeing or what you're seeing. To the degree you're seeing. I can't even explain it. <laughs> you won't be able to put into words what you saw. And, and that's okay. And probably just for you. And so there's more to this than just going to church, reading the Bible, and, and all that. There's much, much more. Much, much more. So the beauty of the, fr of the throne here defies description. The glory of that is there, I, I know this much, it's 
unimaginable. <laughs> no matter how I think about it, no matter what I have seen, it's still far, far, far beyond it. It's unimaginable. The throne, the glory there. Someday we're going to see things. And hopefully we're ready. Hopefully. Verse 4, back in chapter 4. And round about the throne there were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So the picture here is the throne, and around the throne, 24 thrones. So, so this, this is a picture that, that John is trying to convey, but you have to understand that there's more than the throne and 24 thrones. See, see that may be a way of relating to that, but there's much, much more going on there than a throne and 24 thrones. There, there is the Spirit of the Lord, there is the glory, there is the, the, the light, there is the, the wisdom, there's, a knowledge, there's lots of things there that are not mentioned, are not said by John, because probably, well, the Lord probably didn't have him write that, but I, I don't know how you can convey these things. See, if all you're seeing is a throne in your mind and 24 thrones around there, remember, that's, that's just a visual picture. There are things there in spirit that you cannot see unless the Lord begins to show you. See, you cannot relate to certain, and I cannot relate to certain things unless the Lord begins somehow to show us. And he shows us along the lines many times of the circumstances right where we are, right where we live. He begins to teach us. And we begin to pick up something here or there. And eventually God is able to bring something together so you get a little picture of something. So in this area, you have this great wisdom. You have understanding you have glory, you have the gospel message there, you have the worship, you have the praise, you have the abundance of life proceeding from the throne of God, and so on. Quite a bit going on that is far beyond just the throne in 24 thrones. Verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings. Wow. How many like to get real close to lightning when there's a, a thunderstorm? <laughs> Not too many people. So out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderclaps and voices. Now, this word here is pronounced, voices, is pronounced phone. Phone. And it's spelled P-H-O-N-E. You know, your phone. That's a Greek word. Did you know that? All you have cell phones? This is a Greek word. Voices. Phone. That's how it's pronounced, though. 
And that means a distinct sound. So there is a distinct sound here coming out from the throne of God. And in, Reve um, excuse me, in Genesis, I'll just read this, Genesis 3.8, this is after Adam and Eve sinned. It says, and they heard the voice, and that's, that, that word means sound, a distinct sound, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So, once again, you're seeing something here in Revelation that you saw in Genesis, that the Lord has this distinct sound, and that distinct sound is proceeding from his throne. And that sound is the sound of life that proceeds, and, and other things, but that's one of them, that proceeds out from the throne and goes on, it goes on, life, that sound. And that's why whenever the Lord God was walking in the garden, that Adam and Eve went and hid themselves because they heard that distinct voice, sound, however you want to say that, of the Lord bringing life, and they were in sin. They were somewhere else, and so they, they didn't want to get around the Lord. They wanted to go hide, and that is the way it is today. And how many today do you think could go and be around a pure and holy God when they are sinful? The people, that, people that are in sin don't want to be around God. They don't even want to come to church in the presence of the Lord, so they'll, they'll go and they'll hide somewhere. Same thing, same thing. But that distinct sound comes even in church. If you can hear it, God's sound distinctly comes. Here it comes, proceeding from the throne of God, I believe. And then he says, proceed, from the throne proceeded lightnings, and I say th uh, thunderclaps because that's another uh, way to say it, and voices from the throne, hold your place, turn to Exodus, chapter 19. See, the heart that is pure, what's it say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God. Okay, so purity of heart will be one of the necessary things for a person to move closer to the throne of God. That is why those who have an impure heart will stand a distance from God. And, and you see this all the time. The Lord wants to draw people close to him, and because of the impurity of their heart, they do not move toward him. They will move away from him. And so... so the invitation is there for all. But you know that those that do not want to get close to God here and now will not want to get close to God then. There will be a distance, I believe, because of, of where they are spiritually. But in Exodus 19, verse 16, 
And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. Doesn't that sound familiar? What we're seeing, a couple of these things in Revelation. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at neither part of the mount and the mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And there's another scripture here in the Old Testament that says that when the children of Israel saw the Lord in the mount, they stood afar off, and they said, Moses, you go. You go speak to the Lord. Well, why did they say that? Why weren't they interested in at least drawing a little closer? Because of where they were. Their hearts, where they were living, their impurity of life kept them from drawing close to God. Just like our impurities, if we're going to live in sin, if we're not interested in the Lord purifying and cleaning us up, that will keep us a distance. It doesn't matter how many times a person comes to church. It doesn't matter if they're friends with a pastor. It doesn't mean, it means nothing. Their own heart will keep them at a certain distance until there is a change and they can be brought closer. <clears throat> Back in Revelation 4, verse 6, or let's finish verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded light, lightnings and thunderings and, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God are before the throne. Those spirits in an individual will enable them to begin to move closer. Verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and it's as transparent glass. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, or um, the actual translation should, should be, for our purposes, much better, four living creatures full of eyes before and behind. There's the, the great wisdom, understanding, seeing. They're portrayed in the four living creatures with eyes all around. Turn to Ezekiel 47. So he mentions here in this verse that there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In Ezekiel 47, 1, afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house, eastward, and he goes on, if you read in this chapter, you will see here that the waters get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and that's the way things go with God. If you're going to be a Christian and you want to, you know, 
walk and, and move and dwell in the water that is very, very shallow, well, that's where the Lord will say, if you want, that's where you want to stay, that's fine. But if you're interested in moving on and drawing closer, then he'll bring you out further and you will start to move in waters that are deeper and then finally deeper and deeper and eventually waters to swim in. But John here is seeing before the throne a sea of glass. Now, I don't have any idea. That's the only scripture that I, I could relate to as far as the sea of glass. It's something there that usually when you use the word sea or waters, there's always some depth to it. And I would think that closer to God is deeper. Remember it says, deep calleth unto deep in Psalm 42. So the deep in God calls out to the deep in, in the individual and to the Christian and is drawing them from the shallows to the deeper. So we're going to have to move eventually, if we're going to move closer to God, we're going to have to move into a, a place where the waters may become a little uncomfortable, to where they are deeper than we would like. It's always nicer to stand in water when the water's maybe up to here, your chest. Okay, but whenever you get higher and higher, then it's something different. I remember whenever we were down uh, in Central America, and we were uh, taking, we took, took a, a boat out to the coral reefs, and we went scuba diving. And they just, you know, you just jump off the side, not scuba diving, snorkeling. Jump off the side, and there you are, okay? And, and then you're, you, you put your snorkel, you go down, and you look, and you see you're not anywhere near the bottom. And it's kind of like you're in the ocean. I don't know, for me, it was kind of like, you know, I'm here, and <laughs> I felt very, very small, and I wasn't even in the deep. We were maybe in, would you say, maybe 14, 16 foot of water, and, you know, you dive down and see these big fish. But we will have to move in the Lord and be in water that is deeper than we may feel comfortable in. Because the Lord is calling us out from the shallow to the deeper and eventually to the deep. For deep calleth unto deep. See, the Lord, the deep in God, that in Him, that we are to some degree like and can relate to, he calls to that in you, and you answer that so that he can draw you away from the world, away from your carnality, away from the way you used to be, moving further and further out until you turn around and there's your friends back there on the shore, and they're saying, what are you doing? Where are you going? And you can't even relate to that anymore. Why would I want to be out there out of the water? I want to be in the water. I want to draw closer to the Lord. And eventually you become lost in Him. Like it's only Him and you. It's like you know that if you don't depend on Him, you're sinking. Yeah, that's a good place to be.
Good place to be. So round about the, th the throne here in verse 6, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. So here you have the throne areas, uh, wisdom and all-knowing, I believe revealed by the eyes of the living creature, creatures. Verse 7, and the first beast, now he's going to begin to talk about these four living creatures. The first beast was like unto a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. So the four creatures here are going to illustrate, I, I concur with my teacher in this, I believe this is correct, the four living creatures here are going to portray the gospel message in its entirety. The, the message here is going to start from the point of that being completed, and then it's going to be moving back to the beginning. The first living creature had the face like a lion. Okay, the lion we know is the king of beasts. They call the lions the king, king of beasts. The king of kings, now we know him as the lion of Judah. He has become the lion of Judah. The second living creature was like a calf or an ox. And if you know and have read and studied Leviticus, ox was in the burnt offering and some of the other offerings dealing with sacrifice, dealing with in this case, speaking of the gospel, speaking of the Lord, uh, speaking of Calvary, speaking of his death, his sacrifice, the crucifixion. So that's what's pictured uh, with the second living creature that looks like an ox. The third living creature had the face of a man. For Jesus to go to Calvary, for him to sacrifice, to be the ox, he had to first become a man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he gave him, he had to become a man for him to be given. So this living creature is portraying the Lord as a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, which is the source of the man who is the Lord God from heaven. He's the source. So in the, the picture here of the four living creatures, you have the message of the gospel from its completion or fulfillment traced back to where he... Did we get to the... Uh, oh, excuse me. Did I say flying eagle? Did I? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. But you, you see that being traced back to where he, he was in heaven. He was in heaven as the flying eagle. Comes down as a man. Then he's portrayed as the ox, the sacrifice at Calvary. And then he becomes the Lion of Judah with all authority. Okay, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. 
So you see once again uh, them talking. He's talking about uh, these eyes, and in the eyes are are, are the the wisdom, the all knowing, and all seeing, and the great knowledge uh, at the throne, the great revelation seen at the throne. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 6. So in, in Revelation 4, 8, you see the four beasts, each of them had six wings about him. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah saying, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train or his skirt filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. See, just like we're seeing in Revelation, but here in Isaiah, you see something else. Uh, they had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And that's, I believe, portraying humility before God. Um, with two, he covered his feet. And that's referring, I believe, to reverence toward God. And with two, he did cover his feet. Uh, and with two, he did fly. And that, uh, the last one, he did fly, I believe is, is referring to service for God. And so the living creatures are portraying quite a bit there before the throne of God. All kinds of things coming out just from the description of what John sees here with the wings, with the eyes, uh, and, and so on. Quite a bit of revelation and, and knowing and understanding all that there before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. Um, verse 3. Isaiah 6. I didn't finish. Excuse me. And one cried to another, speaking of the living creatures, or, or this, as it says here, the seraphim. And you'll see the similarity here by what they see when we read the verse again in Revelation. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, 8. And they rest not day nor night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see how similar that is. Very similar. So what I, Isaiah saw was probably the same or basically the same as what John sees, but there were some probably differences because of what the Lord was going to show them for what purpose he was going to show them whatever purpose that was for Isaiah. And then he says, and they were full of eyes within, the revelation that's at the throne. And I remember, I, I can't quote this, but I remember Charles Hahn saying something to this effect where the revelation is relative to 
one's distance or closeness to the throne. So what, what he was saying is the closer one is to the throne, the more revelation they will have. Well, that's what he said. I figured I'd just put that out there. Back into verse uh, 9. Now, the praise here that we're seeing in verse 8, uh, or the worship, whatever you want to say, seems to be based upon the, the living creatures realizing the message. See, they are portraying the message, and they realize the message, even though they aren't partakers of it in salvation, but they realize the message. And, and that prompts, uh, prompts a response from them, and they say, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Verse 9. And then those, and when those beasts or the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Now I wanted to look this up. And I, I think. But I am not sure about this. That this is a, a present participle here. In other words. What they say. Is a continual thing. That's coming out from them. And that, that is a truth that is constant. I mean even for us. We can say Jesus is Lord with our mouth. But there is to be a saying or, a, or speaking constantly from our spirit, not necessarily with our mouth, but with our spirit, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the same, it's the same basic thing that, that, that happens with us, that happens here. They say, verse 11, and this probably was audible, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. But remember, that which is audible is coming out from the heart that is saying that. Worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So one thing seen in worship here. And you'll see this in Revelation. One of the things seen in worship is that there is no need for individuality. Individuality is not in worship. See, see worship deals with God. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, well, just, let's just move on. Remember last week, and I, I talked about this, that there is an area around the throne that is a vast, vast area. We don't know how big it is, but it is a huge, vast, large area. And there are those mentioned in Revelation that are in varying distances from the throne. For example, 
in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 that we, we read. It pictures God the Father being on the throne. In Turn to 7, Revelation 7, 17. Here you have, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. So there you have Jesus pictured in the middle of this area. It says here the midst, that means an area in the middle of a larger area. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, which we read, you see the elders in 24, uh, seated upon 24 thrones, and they are close, close up to the throne. Uh, the four living creatures are, are for a little further out than the elders. Uh, then you have in chapter 7, verse 9, the great multitude. And they are in a removed area farther out from this close area that we just mentioned. They're further out away. And then in 7.11, you have these angels that are standing round about in a further area out from the living creatures. Some, some out, somewhere out past where the living creatures are, you have these angels. And then you have in chapter 14... Verses 1 and 3, the 144,000 before the throne in a more closer area, probably beyond uh, the living creatures and probably, uh, I'm not sure, of course, but th this is, as I, as I see it, probably a be in a closer area than these standing angels. I, I don't know, but the, the point is there are varying distances here. And the character of the saved ones will determine their position or their distance from the throne. Now let's move to chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, this is when you read this, uh, there was a book in the hand of him that sat upon the throne, meaning the Father, that had seven seals, and no one was found worthy. And the Lord comes over, and of course he takes the book. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or incense, which are the prayers of saints. Um, so we know that redemption is offered to all men. And those that have responded, you see in verse 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take, a, take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So none, none are excluded from the opportunity to move closer to God. See, that's the message today, that man... Christians can move closer to God. He desires the Christian to walk with him in a way that they have a closer and closer relationship with him so that if you have been saved 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if you have been walking with God and you've been moving in his will, you should be closer to him today than you were five years ago. That's the normal growth and progression that is to be seen in the Christian's life. Now in verse 11, let's read this. 
And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. See, the, the area there around the throne is a vast area. You know, th this is, is speaking to that. Thousands and thousands is, is, a, is a, a number that you have a hard time counting. John knows that there is a large multitude here of angels and so on, um, the living creatures, the elders, and, and so on, the angels, all in this area. Now, go to chapter 7. We're going to jump around. Verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and they cried aloud, saying, Salvation unto our God. So uh, the, the, you have here a great multitude that stood, I believe, in this area further away. I mentioned this last week, further removed from the elders. And you see something in what they say. Their focus is upon salvation, what God has done for me. See, whenever you became a Christian, God did something wonderful for you. But if you grow correctly, and that's an if for Christians, if you grow correctly, you will begin to move past this initial salvation and begin to move into other things, move into deeper things, and things will change as far as your relationship with the Lord and all that. And you will develop a testimony because of what the Lord has done in your life. And so your speaking and your praise will not just be salvation unto our God. It's going to be a testimony with, a, with some substance. See, what the Lord did for you personally is going to change you. Now, I want to say this about worship. Worship, when you, when you go and you see here, and maybe we'll look at this. Let's just turn back a minute and find it. I, I can't remember where it is, but they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive power and honor and blessing and, and so on and so forth. Worship occurs closer to the throne than praise does. When praise occurs, what is there contained in that is what God has done for me, my salvation. Lord, you healed me. You helped me. Uh, you, you did this for me, Lord, and that for me. But whenever you see worship here, you, you don't see any of that what you've done for me, Lord, in, in worship. So you can stand there and you can say, Lord, we praise you, we praise you, we praise you, Lord, and we worship you, and you not be going into worship at all. See, because when a person is caught up into worship, there is nothing of themselves in the picture. It's all blessing, honor, glory unto you, Lord. You, Lord, you, Lord. Not, well, thank you, Lord. We worship you today because you did such... No, that's not worship. 
You can use the word worship, but that's not worship. Worship occurs closer in, and it does not have the elements at all related to the individual, their salvation, what God has done for them. Do you see that? That's praise. That's something different. There's a difference there. Praise focuses on something different. Now, in verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and, and the four beasts and, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. And remember that the testimony of the elders is far, far beyond initial salvation. Their testimony arises from what God did in them, see, the character that has been developed in them, that brought them to a throne. So when they're worshiping, and you, if you go back and start to read this, you'll see that whenever it talks about worship, you don't see anything mentioned but the Lord. You know, you fall down and blessing, glory, honor, thanks, you know, all that. Be unto thee, be unto thee, be unto thee. It's nothing about me. I'm not there. Because if I am there in the picture, then I'm not in worship. And I have noticed this, and you can watch this, maybe for your own benefit, but many times the songs that we sing do not encourage worship. They don't encourage being caught up in worship but rather they encourage praise. And that, I mean, that's okay. So to be drawn into worship, you have to, to have your heart in such a way where, you know, like to some of the songs we, we sing, um, we, we just sang Sunday from Job, Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But anyway, you see, even in these songs, it's mentioning us, we, what have you, and that gets our attention off of the Lord. I don't know if I'm explaining this right or not. But it, it doesn't help you to be drawn into worship. You have to understand this and see this so that the Lord, even if that song is being sung, the Lord can take you. Sometimes I'm just quiet and just waiting there and allowing the Lord to try to bring me into a different place, into worship. Because I, I can't go there myself. You have to be drawn there. You can't decide, well, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to worship God. You have to be drawn into worship, and it will take certain things that the Lord does. And he does that many times. But I'm trying to point out, like we're seeing here, that there is a difference between worship and, and praise. Worship has nothing to do with you. You want to boil it down. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with what the Lord did for you. It's about him about him. In Revelation 4, look, we'll look at these couple of these scriptures dealing with the um, elements of worship. Revelation 4, verse 9, and, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lived forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their thrones before uh, to cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, now look at, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, 
for thou hast created all things, etc., etc. Chapter 5, verse 11. And I beheld, let me see here, yeah. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the, the beast and the elders, and a number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive. See, nothing about your salvation. See. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which, which is in heaven on, on the earth and under the earth, uh, as such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying blessing, and I don't understand that. There is going to be a communication on a level that we know nothing about and have never experienced. When John is caught up, and he says this, he says that every creature in the earth heard him say. So there's going to be a communication between the creation and, and God and us beyond what we ever thought or experienced. They heard I say, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and forever. Revelation 19. Now do you see in those verses there, that was pertaining to worship. So a lot of what Christians think is worship and a lot of what churches say is worship is not worship at all. It's praise. Now, praise is okay. Praise is good. But praise isn't worship. And worship isn't praise. It's different. Worship, as I said before, you see in Revelation is closer to the throne of God. So your worship, if you're move, being moved into worship, that is in a closer proximity to the throne than your praise. Closer in. Revelation 19, verse 4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both great and small. So there's a difference between both. The praise is, is further. Okay? Now, I just want to just look at just a few more scriptures in closing. In Revelation 14, just for a minute. Now, we may come back to some of the things that we touched on now later on I don't know I want to just show you something here chapter 14 verse 1 and I looked and lo a lamb stood on, on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having their father's name written in their foreheads and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps and verse 3 says, And they sung a song as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000. Now, let me ask you this question. If I get a song here, 
and I put it on a flip chart and I sing it for you maybe 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, 50 times, eventually you'll learn it, right? If I sang it 100 times, you'd learn it. It says here that no man could learn this song. See, because this song is not an audible song. I mean, it can be sung as an audible song. But no man can learn that song because that song emanates from the heart and life of the 144,000 because of what the Lord has done. And that is why no one can learn that song. It's not a song that they're going to sing. And we're going to put this on the flip chart. We're all going to sing along with 144,000. You can't sing that song because you haven't been in that place where they were. And so the Lord will have a song in you that others may not be able to sing. There will be others that come and are in heaven because of where they lived and walked. They will not be able to sing certain songs. They just won't. It doesn't matter how many times they hear it, they will not be able to sing it. They may see it, they'll never be able to have that same sound. So my question is this. Where are we as Christians today personally as far as the throne of God? Where are we in relation to the throne of God today? See, everybody's in a different place. Some of the qualities, I just want to show you a few more scriptures just to give you a couple of the qualities that are seen before the throne. See, and we talked about the seven spirits. You, you know that the, the, that's at being at the throne of God, before the throne of God. But in Revelation 3.20, these are some of the qualities that are to be in those, or not are to be, they will be in those that are there before the throne in a very close To some degree, I don't, I, I don't know. You say these things and then you say, Lord, am I right or am I wrong? I don't know. Those that are in very close proximity will definitely have this to a great degree. And, and you'll see this. And, and those who have this to a, 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 maybe a lesser degree will be maybe a little further. Um, Revelation 3.20 or 3.21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my father's throne, or my throne, even as I also overcame. So that's one of the uh, qualities seen in those that are closer to the throne, uh, overcoming, overcoming whatever, whatever it is, multiple things throughout our lives, overcoming, being brought to the place of overcoming whatever, be it big or small in your eyes or others, it doesn't matter if there's still to be an overcoming. An overcoming in your heart, whenever you do that, in whatever situation you find yourself in, gives you another step or it draws you even closer to the throne, whether you're aware of it or not. Chapter 4, verse 9. 
And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. In, in this verse, I see it, that there is to be a continual giving. In verse 10, a, a continual worship. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. See, there's a casting of the crowns. There's a giving, giving. There's a worshiping, a worshiping. And remember, worship does not have to be anything audible. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And many times it is not. It just depends. I mean, the audible thing may be a hindrance to you, or it may not. It may help you. It, it just depends. I mean, it, an audible praise and worship is good. I mean, I like it. I like it all. But worship doesn't necessarily have to be audible. It just depends on, you know, when the Lord, that's why I said the Lord has to draw you in because he makes the way and then you follow that way. Well, I'll sit in church and worship God quietly, but I'll never raise my voice. Well, you might not go, ever get into worship because the Lord might say, well, this is the way I'm going to take you. And that's the way it was with me. I first came to church. I said, there's no way I'm ever, ever going to raise my hands, speak out loud, worship out loud. You know, and one of the first things God dealt with me, man, he had me and caught me up. And I know, don't talk about things like this. He caught me up in one time, and I'm glad I have my eyes closed because I probably look like a fool. Dancing in the spirit. And the dancing that they do now is not dancing in the spirit, trust me. And it was just something that the Lord had to do with me because I was so, you know, rigid in everything. I came out of the Catholic Church, and then I went to a church that was a fundamental church, and it was, you know, don't say a word. Well, that's what I was used to. And so the Lord, he saw that. He said, okay, that's fine. And he lets you, he'll deal with you for a long time. But he drew me into worship. And the way I had to go, and I didn't see this till later on, was a different way. I had to, you know, speak audibly and, you know, and raise my hands and all kinds of things like that. So, you know, maybe you, know, you don't have hang-ups like that. But I did. I had a lot of them. It's a miracle <laughs> God's ever got me to do anything, I'm telling you. Miracle. But it's okay, you know, as long as you have a heart that wants him, he can take you, you know. And if the, the journey's slow, it's okay. It's fine. As long as you're making a little bit of progress. That's the point. You heard the story of the hare and the tortoise, right? And who won the race? The tortoise. Well, that's okay if you're a tortoise. God will, will give you wings eventually. You don't see too many tortoises with wings. But he'll put them on you, and he'll take you. And all these other people that I say, this guy's a nut. What's with him? Where's he going? Oh, he's taking off. He's not going to stay here any longer. He's going to move to another place. So... The Lord, he's good. He, he can get us 
in and out of things and places pretty good if we're willing to let him go and lead us. In chapter 7, verse 14, another quality seen in those close to the throne. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. So uh, they had to endure the tribulation of life to have their robes washed. So that's another characteristic, I think, or, or quality seen. Um, even, you know, with the apostles. The apostles went through tribulation. John said, I am your fellow brother in tribulation. And I believe that John is in close. So that is a quality of those that are closer. So if you go through some tribulation, you go through tribulation, what are you going to do? I mean, just, just go through it. It's okay. In 14, chapter 14, verse 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And, and the point I want to make here is that they were not defiled. See, pureness will bring you closer. Uh, unswerving dedication will bring you closer. And then in verse 5 it says, And in their mouth was found no guile, no lie. They were without fault, it says. Or that means they were without blemish, unblemished. So those are a few of the qualities seen in those that are closer in to the throne. And you should be able to relate to some of those because they're in the Bible. They're all over the place. So that means that whenever some of these things or some of the characteristics are placed in you to some degree, that moves you along. I mean, you're still living here where you live in the home you live in this area. But you don't live here um, spiritually. You're, you're living in a different place. You know, you're with Christ. You're, you're in a different spiritual place. Um, so as these qualities are developed in you and, and you move into certain things and you overcome, that brings you a little closer. And so that's... Uh, one of the desires of God to bring his people from where, what did Jesus say so that where I am there ye may be also see so that's his desire to bring us where he is thank him for what he's done so far with us bringing us along okay we'll stop there and continue next week a living water